Joining me now, my great friend, Barbara Lampson. Hello, Barbara. Hey there, Karen. It's good to hear from you this morning. Yeah, it's a little windy out there, but things are warming up. And you know, the thing I notice getting up in the morning now is there's sun shining in the windows, and it just buoys my spirit. Yes, it does. And you know what? The days are longer. Yes. Um, I come home from swimming, and um, it's still light out. That's that's really great. You know, I just thought maybe because, you know, we've been watching the Olympics and been so excited about all the feats of our Olympian, Olympians and, and, you know, just amazing things they do. And we were watching outside, as usual, watching the birds come to the theater and the squirrels come. And I told Dave, you know what? Our squirrels are like Olympians. They perform... <laughs> the most amazing tasks. They run, they jump, they climb. And last week, one squirrel took the lead in climbing up this red twig bush that I have that's about, oh, I'd say it's about uh, seven feet tall now. And it's the one I'm going to prune out that later. But he went up to the top, leaped over to the garage, and from the garage, you know, my greenhouse is butted up against the garage. It has the rounded roof, went onto the greenhouse roof, slid down head first into the snowbank below, and just took off running. <laughs> Sounds like some of the skiers they had when they were doing those fancy jumps at the Olympics. They come yes, down hard. <laughs> Karen, I thought so too. And also, when they come down the the luge and they say now they're going through the uh, what is it half half pike? Yeah. Where, where they're zooming around ahead for us. I thought, oh my gosh, these squirrels are just amazing. The, the things that they do. The other thing about the squirrels this week was um, I had some grapes, red grapes, seedless that I washed and was sorting out, and a couple of them were a little soft. So I put them out um, outside, and wouldn't you know, it wasn't long before. Um, we had Squirrels come up, they come four together. One of them separated from the rest. He went over and explored, and do you know he ate those grapes? He just thought <laughs> that was wonderful. Well, that was like candy, I'm sure. Yeah, and so I thought, well, okay, so we're putting out... Um, peanuts in the shell for them and they're eating the bird seed of course because they're always up there too but they like fresh fruit we have um grapevines growing on our garage and when we get grapes on there you see them and then the next day you don't see them they i think they've been eating it's the squirrels that have been eating those those wild grapes oh i'll bet they are yeah but i mean either that or the birds perhaps because <laughs> birds like the fruit too well, yeah, but you know what? Um, uh, like the crows come to our yard. Now, I put out a second batch of grapes. The crows didn't touch them, nor did the blue jays really? or the cardinals. Huh. It's the squirrels right down there, wow. um, and and they are just really eating. Now, I have noticed crows, um, they are, the, the squirrels, when they bury their peanuts in the wintertime now, they bury them in the snow. Well, the crows are actually coming on the snow, and they're finding them. And, and they're when smart. I did a, they're really um, smart. A check, 
um, uh, to see, you know, do, do crows smell? Yes, they do. They have a great sense of, of smell. They are able, they have the um, olfactory glands or nerves or whatever they are, and this leads them to, to food that they're looking for. So uh, the squirrels have got some competition. Either they got to find a better place to put their uh, peanuts or, or uh, eat them right away and not store so many. <laughs> hey, Barb, do you know what the uh, most popular question on the garden sites on the Facebook are these days? What? People asking when they should start their seeds, and there's some people say they're so excited they're starting their seeds already. And, you know, it's way too early. And so I just wanted to, to chat because it's it's mid-February now. Right. And there are some we can start now. And I want to direct people to this because there's so many questions and people ask the same question over and over and and on the, these Facebook things. And so the, the site to go to, just Google in University of Minnesota. I just go U of M seed starting. And they have this chart that tells you, so what to start in mid-January, what to start in early February, mid-February, early March. And so now we're, uh, the things you should have started, or you can still start them, are geraniums, pansies and violas, wax begonias, and the vegetables, which you may have started already, are the leeks and the onions. Have you started those yet? No, no, I haven't. Only because, um, here's the thing, if you're going to take a vacation in March, oh, yeah. you probably better wait and yep. not expect someone to come to your home and water these new Ooh, little plants yeah. that you started for you. So, uh, But here's what I discovered. I, I was thinking about ordering some perennial seed. Now, this is a different uh, type of thing than what your annuals are. Your annuals, you can you can germinate them. You get them up in one season, and they bloom. They give you tremendous bloom really early, and then they're done. Perennials, it takes longer to get them to germinate. It takes longer to get them to bloom. And I was looking at lupins, which that's a beautiful plant. Oh, they're, and they're they're really a lot of them up north. I think that's a, the perfect climate for them up north. I, I believe you're right, Karen, but. I have had trouble getting them to grow in my garden. Yep. They will get rot right in the very center of, of the plant, and they'll die. So I thought, well, that's fine. I'm going to order this seed. And I was reading about it. To, to bloom, it takes 365 days, which means I would have to get those. If I ordered them from a catalog, I would have to get them early in the season here start them at home, wait for them to germinate, which takes many, many days, and then harden them off, get them outside. They'd have to be really robust plants to go into the winter. Oh, you can't yeah. put some little, little scraggly thing. You have to get something that's well-adjusted, has a deep root system. So if you're thinking that, oh, gosh, those perennials are so expensive, they're really not. Oh, no. They're, you know, we, you and I went to the Proven Winners Garden Seminar, and yeah. they, they were talking about, you know, starting some of those plants, and you do pay a lot for them, but as we know, and as you know, it takes so long sometimes to get them going. Now, there are ones we can do that don't take as long. Like, I'm going to start, I see the mid-February seed starting for impatience is mid-February, so I'm going to be starting those this this week. Uh, or this weekend is I'm going to be putting those in. So that's something I can put in. But uh, like you mentioned, a lot of those other perennials and things, I'm going to start some of those. I've got some perennial seeds. I'm going to put those outside in winter, sow those. 
You know, I, I think that's a good idea. I would be interested in, in finding out how that happens, how, how well that goes for you. Um, impatience. I have found that that is the easiest plant to grow. I never thought so before. Really? I've never grown them, Barb, so I'm kind of nervous because I know the one thing they can get is powdery mildew. But, uh, you know, and I think I've got some that are, are, you can read on the labels if they're resistant to it, and I think I got some that are. But when you've grown them, have you just put them in little individual cells, or did you put them all in a a bigger pot or something? Yeah. Okay, now this, I don't know if this will work for everybody, but I bought one plant, one impatient plant, very small, in the spring, and I planted it in in this large uh, container um, pot that I have, and it's like, it's probably 20 inches across. Big pot, that's a good size, yeah. Yes, and it's the one that you said I should have taken to the fair, because (laughs) it was so beautiful, but... Of course, it's so big, it, yeah, Too I heavy. just couldn't do that. So in that container, I put this one in patience, and I put it with um, an ivy, or excuse me, a fern. And this is a variety of a Boston fern that's not that great big one that comes over the side. It's a smaller one. I had that in there, and I had a couple of other houseplants in there as well. Do you know that? If you don't pick off those seeds or the spent blooms, you'll get they'll make seeds, and that's okay when it's outside in the summer yeah. because it's it's getting all the right things that it needs. It's it's got uh, uh, sunlight and shade, and it's got rain, and it's got all these things. Well, where those seeds fell in among this fern. Now I have new plants. Oh, well, you know, the thing is, there's some seeds, if it was a hybrid, it won't come back true to what the hybrid right. was, so it'll come back to the what the original parent plant looked like. So do you know, uh, did they turn out yeah. like the yeah. ones you had? or? It, it, no, they oh. haven't bloomed yet. They're oh. small plants. Okay. As a matter of fact, I even had... Um, and I don't know how these seeds get transported. I guess it's got to be by the birds. But I have an impatient seed in with some succulents oh. that I had sitting in that area <laughs> that I didn't want to get into full sun because they'd been inside. And and that started to grow. And here's something even more strange, a real unexpected uh plant growing from a seed. Uh, do you remember that, that barrel cactus? I brought it down to the uh, to the building there. Oh yeah, it's a big it. fat cactus. It was it was probably eight inches around diameter. Very, very fat, but not real tall. Maybe about eight inches tall or so. Yeah, well, anyway, um, we brought it home here. I had it outside, and that was sitting close to some annual salvias. And you know, one of those annual salvias, and I had white ones, dropped a seed in there, <laughs> and there was just a small space between the plant, the edge of the plant, and the rim of the planter, and it took off in there. Now, how it did that, I don't know, because normally plants need to be kept moist. Right, and that's dry. And, and the cactus, I keep very dry. But yet it did, and it's probably um, oh, it's probably six inches tall now. Healthy, absolutely healthy. Oh. Now, did but you it, leave it? You left it in with the cactus? 
I did. Oh. Because, because <laughs> I couldn't get it out. Oh, funny. Because the cactus is so prickly. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to, I just wanted to see how well they could they could grow together and and we'll see you'll have to stop and see it it's it's just amazing that things uh if the soil is right for them they seem to be in the right environment uh they'll take off now that's the thing is the right the right plant for the right place and in your case the right place for the seeds to grow and you know some of us struggle with starting seeds and it just can't get it to work so i mean sometimes it's maybe neglect is okay at some points yeah, and you know, the other thing is, one of the, probably the biggest problems with starting seeds for people is that um, they get dampening off disease. Well, you've and got, they, that's why you got to use not a potting soil, but a potting mix, a seed starting mix, because right, it's so right, important. Right. Yeah, and, and also, I think one of the rubberized heating pads, oh. so, the, so the seeds, um, the planters are sitting on that and the bottoms are being kept warm and then either as you said last week spray to mist your seeds with a sprayer so that you're not saturating them or put water from the bottom that that's a good way to do that and of course you know air circulation is a good idea too you know you mentioned the heating pad last year i made a mistake with the heating pad that i won't do again this year so i want to share it so nobody else does it so i had a bunch of these cells and i put different seeds in in the cells you know whole, mm-hmm. they were like big cells so you can't separate them so there was you know maybe some marigold seeds some of this and that and the other thing well some of them things like zinnias within a couple of days with that warmth they are up and about but then some other things like you get parsley seeds and they don't want to come up they might be up to 20 days before they will sprout so i left the heat pad under because i wanted those others to sprout but what it did was it was too warm for those little seedlings i was thinking well it should be okay because they don't they like it warm but it can get too warm because it dries them out faster so this year i'm going to be separating into smaller cell packs maybe like a six pack instead of the big one that holds like 24 and, and making sure to put the seeds of the same kind so i can rotate them out when the ones sprout then leave the others on the heat pad so that's important to remember and um, it's a mistake i made last year so i killed off a bunch of things well here's you know um this is the way we learn i mean it's trial and error you can read all the bulletins and think you're doing something right and just to uh mix seeds that germinate at different times with one another can be a real mistake for the whole business so yeah a good lesson learned and and i'm glad you reminded me of that because sometimes you just think with these little cells that you have you think oh hey here's a packet of seeds I might as well try out. I have a couple of vacant cells here. I guess I'll drop a few seeds in here. Mistake if they germinate at totally different times. Yeah. Do you know? know, Oh, go ahead. Those heating mats, uh, mats, they're about 80 degrees is what they go up to. Yeah. So if you figure you're bringing the soil up and warming it up, um, and you're starting at 80 degrees there, it's going to cool off a little bit in the cell. But that really is too warm to be growing a new plant in. Right. Hey, I wanted to, we mentioned the, the seed starting. One of the most common questions people have on the, the Facebook garden sites is when to start tomatoes and when to start peppers. And yeah. a lot of them are starting them now, which is way, way too early. I've done this before because I'm so anxious. So right. peppers right. are mid-March and tomatoes early April. 
And I know Harvey's made this, our friend Harvey Hess has made this mistake because he gets eager. And, and then it turns out when it's it's time to put them outside, like the end of May, beginning of June, he's had some of these in these little pots that are, the, the it's three feet tall. And then you got to bury them so deep. So it's better just to start them at the right time and, and have more success. It is. And here again, you know, um, I do not like even to start. I like to wait till after April 15th. We're, we're thinking about when's the last day of frost. Well, you know, when you look at your uh, schedule for frost, you have to remember that's an average. You know, they figure it out over the average. So it might not be the last day for frost. In our area, it might be later. It might be pushing up into, into May and we're still getting frost. Well, I just looked up, and, and it says the last frost date for Mankato is May 6th. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that can vary depending on the year. As we all know, there can be warmer years or there can be later years. It can be wet. You know, that's the thing. It's unpredictable. So it just... Yeah. And, and even if you don't get frost, um, you know, it depends on how much snow we had on the ground. Oh, true. When we have a lot of snow on the ground, and, of course, we're losing it now, it takes the soil a while to warm up and the soil you have to plant in like tomatoes especially the soil should be at least 60 degrees before you put them out there it could even be a little warmer and 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 the other thing about that is um uh, it, there's there's going to be the wind and the cold nights when the temperature drops down at night that's like um the peppers and the tomatoes are warm weather plants they don't like that. Well, and another mistake, I know I've made this one in the past, is just because it's 70 outside and you think, oh, it's warm, it's time to plant. It may be 70 to us, but on the soil, it could still be 40 or something. Yeah. So that's the thing. Just because it's warm outside doesn't mean it's warm in the soil. And you, one year, I know you were giving us updates every week on the soil temp. You took your thermometer out there. Are you still doing that to, to check the soil temps? Uh, when it, everything is froze now. So well, now, yeah. I'm relying on, on Wasika. And uh, I believe this soil temperature right now is still at 28 degrees, but it can fluctuate. You know, it was down to 25 degrees here about a week ago. Then it came up to 28, and now, you know, it it might go up to 30, and then it might drop down again. Mm -hmm. So um, if you don't have uh, good mulch on, your soil is going to be more subject to this, especially after the snow melts. It's going to be more subject to this warming and cooling that's going through, um, and and that's kind of a mistake that we make. You know, but, I might even have to go out to, to you know I planted all those hostas last year out at by the lake house and in took a whole new yard grass and made it into to plants. And I noticed that the wind has blown off, and so I've got a lot of bare soil out there because it gets windy up there. I'm wondering if I shouldn't go out and put some mulch over top of those because I'm worried that that is going to be kind of harsh because they're exposed. You think yeah, I should? I, you know, Hold them back. Not only that, but if you do have rabbits and you do have deer up there, can you imagine if you have the first new growth in the neighborhood? What in in, in a big bed like that? It'll be a regular... Buffet. buffet for them to come and eat. What do so. you think I should put on them? I mean, there's not a you know there's not a lot you of have, 
do you have leaves that you can put on them now? Well, that's the thing. I put leaves all on them last fall, and a lot of them blew away, even though they were um, shredded. So I, I yeah, don't. Yeah, but now they're probably starting. You probably have more than, like, leaf mold, because when they're in a the plastic bag. But they're not in bags. They're all over top of the, the, oh, the, the uh, of the land. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, what do you have on there for a mulch? Did you did you put down pine needles or did you put well, down? Well, no, I put well, I I had put um, the, the leaves. I put the leaves Just down, leaves. but they yeah. blew. Well, and I also had before I had some of that um, special. It's like a core, the coconut shell stuff oh, yeah. that I ordered special. But you know that's not that thick, and I feel like I need some sure. more around some of those. Sure. Well, <clears throat> um, I haven't done this, but I I would say that you would be safe if you had some uh, bark, really sh- well-shredded bark, mm-hmm. to put on top of those leaves that you've got now, because the leaves are going to break down fast. Oh, yeah. And right. and, and that's, that's you're going to get all that good uh, carbon from them, and then you're going to put down the, uh, the bark, and that's carbon again, too. So maybe this spring you're going to have to use a little some organic uh, nitrogen because when these things are breaking down, um, they're going to use up a lot of the nitrogen in your soil. Do you think some of that straw, I know you, I've still got some of the bales of straw left, those little, you know, the ones you can buy that are supposedly weed-free, all they have is, is oats or yeah. whatever oh, grain. Well, that would work. Yeah. Absolutely, that would I work. I might try that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then hopefully if we get, we'll get more snow, and the snow covers that up. Yeah, I would I would be really careful. Whenever you're planting uh, a new perennial, and especially that many, and they're exposed like like you are out mm-hmm. there, um, yeah, you got to watch those and baby those this first this first couple years. Yeah, but I was just thinking all that money I spent, I, I hate to see that go. <clears throat> you know. Yeah, you know, Karen, uh, talking about lakeshore property and lakes, I read such an interesting article was it was thought-provoking about our lakes and rivers and streams and how uh, during the COVID we have more people that are buying boats they're first-time boat owners they've never had a boat before and they're getting onto the lakes as a matter of fact Minnesota is one of the top five that has the most boats we have 830,000 registered uh, licensed boat owners in Minnesota. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Last year we had 17,000 new boat owners, new people, watercraft, I should say, because you have to license kayaks and uh, everything that you're going to put on the water. And one of the things that the Boating Association said is that for first-time Boat owners, they spend a lot of time educating them about how to operate their boat. That's, you know, uh, good maintenance and all those things, how to run it properly. But the problem comes, the DNR says, when you get onto the lake and all of a sudden you have this really powerful boat and you have inexperienced drivers of these boats. And what they're suggesting is we need to have uh, a licensing, uh, a safety class uh, for, the, for all boat owners. Go 
going out onto the lake because we have more boats on our lake, we have bigger boats on our lake, and we have different types. We have the the kayakers and the uh, canoeists, and they're using the same water. And when you come with a great, big, powerful boat, and there's no brakes on a boat, you have to know how to control that boat, and you have to know boat etiquette well and and that is so true of course we have that house that's in the narrows on lake washington and so it is not so frustrating when you get some of those people who don't know how to operate the boat and they you're supposed to slow down you know in that area where they got the the buoys and there's like you said etiquette and rules and things because it also erodes the shore line which is a bad thing but I, I think th- I didn't realize you didn't have to have some sort of training to, to run a boat. I guess I assumed you had to have some training. No. I mean, you have to do it to, don't you, to get a snow, to run a snowmobile or ATV? You do, you do. Yeah. absolutely. That, that ATV vehicles, yes, you do. Huh. Only uh, youth, 14 to 17-year-olds, have to have the training, not the adults. And what we're seeing now is the people uh, that are going onto the lakes they have never ran boats before. And especially when you think of, um, they use this analogy of a pontoon boat. You can put, what, 12, 13 people on there, and this person, uh, you don't have a, um, your boat is licensed, but you personally don't have that training. Just, there's no other vehicle that you could run in Minnesota. If you had a, a van or a bus, You'd have to have a chauffeur's license. You'd have to have this mm-hmm. this training and, and know the safety of it. And, and we don't have that. And it seems like that um, the um, uh, DNR and the uh, Lake Associations, they are all for more uh, of this of this training so maybe we'll get it through the legislature last year they tried to get a bill through our state legislature that would make it you couldn't go within 200 feet of the shoreline and it didn't pass this year they're thinking it should be 500 feet you should be away from the shoreline simply because of these bigger boats that are doing this wakeboarding which pushes the waves so that the person behind can, uh, it's like you're simulating, you're out in the ocean, you make these huge waves, and they do not dissipate before they hit the shore, and they're doing just terrible damage to the shoreline. You know, that's something that's probably going to take some calls to legislators and that sort of thing to make some changes, whether it's for the training or some of the, the rules and that sort of thing. And, you know, I'm on that Lake Washington Water Improvement uh, water quality improvement uh, committee too and we've been talking about things like that about the big wakes that these boats can make because then it's like these people can make their own ocean-like uh, waves yeah. to, to go on which are wonderful unless you're the poor guy in the kayak or the the person that's uh, you right. know out there in the, the little boat and gets over overcome or if you're um, having a shoreline that's that's eroding away which makes the water quality worse so it's yeah it's kind of a catch-22 uh, if we don't do something about that. So, yeah, good good point, Barb. And, you know, maybe it will take some folks to talk with some legislators sure. and say, we need to do something. And I, I agree about the training, too, because I've seen so many people, and, you know, there's some out there that are drinking on the boat, so I don't know if they're drinking. They say, okay, then you can drive, and, and maybe it's somebody who doesn't know how. And right. that, that happens quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, not only does a boat not have brakes that yeah. you can push on to stop when you're too close to somebody, but... But also, um, it, 
like if you lost your power steering. You can't you can't steer around something. If something would happen and all of a sudden your boat would your motor would cut out, there you would be. So you should never get too close to people in the water. And when you mix water skiers and people who are inner tubing and big boats, uh, it's so easy for someone, some younger child who's learning how to inner tube or water ski to fall down in the water. And unless you've got your eyes trained looking um, ahead of you and thinking about that, you might be, you could, it could be a terrible tragedy. As a matter of fact, we had 17 deaths last year in Minnesota. And personally, I think that's far too many for a sport. Yeah, I I love boating. I mean, I've always been part of the lakes and rivers and been in the water ever since I was old enough to sit in an inner tube and float down the river or boat, build a, a raft. But we started out with just a fishing boat and a small motor. And I'm telling you, we thought that was the greatest thing in the whole world, just to be out there. Uh, observing nature and watching the sunsets and up early in the morning, it really was never about speed. Yeah. And of course, we bought bigger boats as we went along, as we taught our kids how to water ski and that. But we really tried to use the off hours when, when the lakes wouldn't be crowded. And now they're even more crowded. There's people, you'll see it on the highways, um, they they have a shorter attention span and they're they're fused they're they're shorter they're yes. they just want to they just don't have that tolerance or that patience that maybe we once had well barb and, we are out of time i don't mean to cut you off and be impatient here but i've got to let the uh, maverick yeah. f- folks come in so way yeah. we can continue this talk next week but thank you so much for your uh coming on the show uh, part of the gardening with barb and karen Yes. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And listen, get out there and enjoy the nice weather that we're going to have. Yes, sounds good. Thanks, Barb. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, our friend Barbara Lampson. It is three minutes past 10. You're listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato, big ideas and real world thinking. Right now it is 28 degrees out there. Today's high 41, but that wind going to be a big factor. In fact, we have that wind advisory till 9 tonight and the northwest winds 25 to 35 miles per hour, gusting to 55 miles per hour with blowing snow possible.